Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the Bernie Sanders of punk rockers from New Jersey. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? What's up, fella? What was your favorite out of the hundreds of Bernie memes that were out today? Do you have a favorite, a personal oh, favorite? Oh man, there was a there was one of him on like the F train being like New Yorkers during the pandemic, and then, then they just showed Bernie Sanders sitting there. But that was some fit. Honestly, I'm kind of jealous of it. Like you see what I'm rocking today, and I'm kind of like I could see myself aging into that Bernie Sanders outfit. I I I mean I think one of the reasons that meme is getting uh you know so widely circulated is just I think a lot of people felt what bernie sanders was dressed like <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like this like uh an absolute loss of caring <laughs> you know what i mean you're just like i'm here i wouldn't vote for any of these fucking people <laughs> i'm gonna wear this coat and mittens because i'm old and i'm from vermont and you're all yeah. fools i think my favorite one was uh, him in front of the uh, minor threat house. Oh yeah, I saw for that the one. minor threat one, and then a real local gem came out because the Court Tavern in New Brunswick, New Jersey, had for years a very, very notorious door guy uh, named Mark. Not a lot of people knew his name. Very sullen character. Couldn't get a lot of words out of him. If you had given him like a $20 bill for a $6 show, he'd cut your fucking head off if he had to make change. <laughs> and he kind of had that sort of, I sit back in my chair like this feel. So that got superimposed onto the old court tavern uh, uh, chalkboard that was oh. there when you went downstairs <laughs> to do a show. So that was a good deep New Brunswick cut for, oh. for the Bernie one, my personal favorite. But it is nice just quickly to get back to a place where like the biggest news of the day is uh a meme. everybody's use of a meme <laughs> yeah yeah it's good you know like i don't know what's coming but it's uh it's a strange relief it's also i don't know if you've noticed and i had a feeling this might happen hmm. you know the way that the media for the last like three or four years is treating us like uh catastrophe hamsters you know what i mean yeah. like like each side is just like built to enrage us to a point that we can get online and click things and do all this. And in a weird way, cause we're people and we get accustomed to it. I feel like we've been in this sort of bizarre self-fulfilling prophecy where we almost go to these social media sites to be enraged. Now. Oh yeah. You know, we want to feel that way. We need a, an avenue to feel, to feel sad or angry. And you're just scrolling through there until you find something that makes you feel that way. And I think all of a sudden people are like, in a way, people are like, oh, I get what he did. Mm. You know what I mean? He yeah. made this like a thing that you had to see every hour, every day. And if people are honest about it, <laughs> honest about it if liberals are honest about it they're a little bored <laughs> i could see it and also you know who else is bored the fox news contingent because you know as i'm watching everything last night you know right before bed it's a great day i'm joyous yada 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 great speech all the performers wonderful and we'll talk about it in a little bit but right before i go to bed you know i just had to tune into fox news for two seconds i just, a just shot. had to just see a shot 
and they're already going about the divisive politics way. Yeah. See you later, <laughs> By the way, how about our guy Arod? I mean, from <laughs> from the uh from the low down to the big time, I can't huh? I believe it. I mean hey, what a bizarre relationship I have with a guy like that. <laughs> but it is fun to see. It is fun to see. And I wish it was Jeter, though, up there. I do. I Be- wish Derek was up on the podium. Before we get into this day of music history, I just got to ask you the first question right off the bat, because it was the number one question I had yesterday. Yeah. Is A-Rod a gold digger? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, how could you call someone? I mean... I don't know what A-Rod's career earnings are. Right. But I know loosely the New York Yankees paid him a <laughs> half a billion dollars for the 2009 World Series, essentially. So if he's a gold digger, he's a greedy motherfucker. He is a, he is a clout gold digger because there's no he's question. He's a clout digger. Yeah. That's where you got it. Yeah. Money is money for him. It was always A-Rod's problem. And when you followed the Yankees closely, it was always his thing. He wanted to be part of the team. He wanted to be part of the club. He wanted to be liked. He was always really, really focused on that part of it. So, gold digger, no, clout digger, yeah. And you know Obama's up there just be like, man, I thought I got rid of you after I was president, but apparently he's still chasing that. But He's got away. He's got, it's like the guy you were like, oh, we're not friends anymore, but you started dating that girl. Now you're at my party again. Fuck. Uh, fine have a beer oh man well speaking of jennifer lopez music all that stuff let's get into this day in music history do, 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 do. benny what do you got all right well speaking of j-lo mine's about dancing oh so on this day in 1978 the soundtrack album saturday night fever Ooh started a 24-week run at number one on the U.S. album charts. It went over. Uh, it went on to sell 30 million copies worldwide, going 16 times platinum in the U.S., wow. making it the best-selling uh, soundtrack of all time until Whitney Houston's Bodyguard came <laughs> out in yeah. the uh, 90s. So it had a good run, like 20 years or so, as the uh, best-selling um soundtrack of all time apparently a couple funny things about it Mm. that i found funny first it's an impactful thing right like uh you know i was born in 1980 this film came out in 1977 so even though i was like a baby and like a little kid and didn't really understand by the time i started understanding culture and what was going on this like post disco thing was still very much there, mm. you know, like people making fun of like eight tracks, people wearing <laughs> uh, disco suits yeah. to like for Halloween. <laughs> and like, you know, like it was still very much like part of the culture. And I remember being a kid and like finally learning about Saturday Night Fever and uh, with the cufflinks and dancing and all that stuff. So it was super iconic and not just for the songs. Uh, I knew this film from the outfits, from the mm. dancing, even some of the lines without seeing the movie. <laughs> and that's how. So I think um, this represented probably the culmination and the beginning of the slide for disco in yeah. general. Uh, one other thing that was interesting about it was the Bee Gees, who, of course, provided most of the big songs on uh, on that soundtrack, weren't involved when they were making the film. And it mm. was all in post-production 
So apparently in all the fil- uh, scenes in the film that John Travolta is doing the dancing, uh, they were using Boz Skaggs and Stevie Wonder through the production. Oh. So they were not dancing to the Bee Gees. It just looks that way. And I keep saying, just just for clarity, I keep saying the dancing. The dancing. Because I'll always remember my grandma Dottie, okay? <laughs> my grandma Dottie, whenever Pulp Fiction came out, I don't know what, early 90s yeah. or something, her and my grandpa Nat went to see it up in Muncie, New York. And I remember her report back was, oh, it was so violent that John Travolta was so much better with the dancing. <laughs> Always remember that. Aww. Big shout out, Grandma Dottie. By the way, did you know Pulp Fiction has a Jersey Shore Asbury Park tie? Uh, how's that? One of the main producers of it, none other than Danny DeVito. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah. Always finds his way. That's right. From well, the penguin to always sunny. That guy just gets <laughs> just his hands and everything. Keeps going. And low-key, an underrated cultural marriage of all time, married to Rhea Perlman for a, a long time. Apparently, they either still do or used to have a house in Deal, so it's pretty crazy that two of the greatest sitcom characters, even if you take out Always Sunny, lived just north of Asbury Park for a while. That's pretty cool. That is true. Does the Rhea Perlman name carry any weight anymore? I mean, I, I don't know anybody, and... You know, I finished college recently. I feel like everybody's still seen Cheers. That show still holds up. I I actually went through some old episodes of Cheers oh, like fairly recently, and it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And the Sam and Diane thing. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's undeniable. The incredible thing is that you know, watching it in 2021, the biggest thing that hasn't held up is Christy Alley. Now, ah, yeah, and and her MAGA turn. Yeah. Anyway, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? All right, Benny, mine is, uh, it's funny enough you brought up Boz Skaggs because Boz Skaggs is intertwined with mine. Oh, look at that. So on this day in 1970, Steel Mill, featuring Bruce Springsteen, opened for the Elvin Bishop Band in San Francisco. You know, Elvin Bishop with the Fool Around and Mess Around song that Mm -hmm. was in Guardians of the Galaxy, but most notably in Boogie Nights. On this set, and this is wild to me, so Elvin Bishop is the headliner. Then you have mm-hmm. Steel Mill and opening, kicking everything off, a young Boz Skaggs. How about that? Wow, what a gig. Yeah. Steel Mill, huh? Yeah, Steel Mill. So Steel Man. Mill had uh, Vinny Lopez and Danny Federici in it, and then Steven Van Zandt joined later. So the precursor to all of the E Street Band and everything like that. So three divergent career paths, but for one night in San Francisco, they all kind of came together. Pretty cool. C- can we can we pull down Bruce's pants a little bit? Because <laughs> I, I didn't even know about this. I didn't know he had a band called Steel Mill. I've always found it just ironic that the guy who was playing music full time from the time he was like a teenager <laughs> was known as like the working class hero, you know, because yeah. he like never had a real job yeah and this kind of lends into it even more i mean fuck he named his band steel mill steel mill like you're just playing guitar dog yeah you're a high schooler yeah yeah no it's crazy (laughs) i mean but hey you know i guess if if you make a lot of money you can have whatever kind of narrative you want right yeah we've been like gas like calling ourselves like roofing but you guys actually did that. That'd be so different. <laughs> exactly. That'd be so different. The roofers up on the roof, the, the drifters. Roofers, hey, <laughs> it's us. 
All right, Benny. So on Tuesday, the United States swore in Joe Biden as president. Who? Transitioning seamlessly there. Yeah. <laughs> and so on Tuesday, the United States swore in Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States, an inauguration that saw Lady Gaga dazzle us with the national anthem. Jennifer Lopez brought in a bilingual version of This Land is Your Land. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, and then, you know, we had Garth Brooks, who showed up in boots and ruined everybody's black tie affair. But then at night, we had Bruce Springsteen, as we were just talking about, showed up and performed an emotional acoustic version of Land of Hope and Dreams at the Lincoln Memorial, overlooking the Washington Monument. Absolutely beautiful stuff. John Legend was iconic as well, with Feeling Good. Katy Perry showed up and performed Firework Man. What she probably knew when she was writing that song, this is going to be used till the end of time as a firework. That's, uh-huh. that's a brilliant thing. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, John Bon Jovi showed up and sent the video from Miami because apparently he couldn't be bothered uh, <laughs> to show up for the return of democracy. So, New Jersey, man, he's a snowbird, <laughs> full snowbird. But Benny, in a year where live events have been become more TV productions, like we've talked about with the NBA bubble, this inauguration was right up there and was able to galvanize people in a really kind of cool way that you don't see uh, music on TV do too much. So what were your thoughts of the event and what are your news and notes, favorite takeaways, all that stuff? I mean, like I texted you earlier, one of my first thoughts was when Garth Brooks was walking off, <laughs> he put his cowboy hat back on, and then he went and said hi to like the Clintons and the Obamas. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought in my head, like how many people were at home going, I guess Garth Brooks drinks fucking baby's blood too. <laughs> He's a baby blood drinker. I just love how many people are now apparently part of some like super secret conspiracy theory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't have this many blabbermouths in the same room <laughs> and this should actually be real. That's just simple human economics right there. Uh, but the obviously, as you mentioned, like star studded performance, all beautiful performances, uh, people giving it, they're all really putting in the emotional, you know, backing to, I guess what the day should recognize because it wasn't live and because of the strange feeling of everything, I have a feeling some of these performances will be like remembered more importantly, you know, going down the line, yeah. maybe like looking back on the day or something, but I couldn't help but see it in kind of a competitive way. Could yeah. you, I just kept putting the lineup up against Trump's lineup. And I just, <laughs> like, I was just like, all right, JLo three doors down, you know, like, like just the level really, if if you want to be a conservative music fan these days, that's tough. And you want to listen to anything but country. Fuck, that's a rough road. Um, but no, I don't have anything too uh, sentimental to say about. It. How about you? No, I think country music took a big L yesterday, and not just because you know the Biden administration, all of that stuff. But uh, Tim McGraw showed up with some other country artists that I don't know, and they too sent in a video because apparently they couldn't, you know either pass a COVID test or anything like that to get into the actual event itself. See, that was my big thing last night, right? It's like I get socially distanced and all of this stuff, but like these people that are just making videos and sending it in, that's weak sauce. You know, if Springsteen, Katy Perry, John Legend could get up to D.C. and do the thing, what's your excuse, Justin Timberlake? And you know what? What's your excuse, Dave Grohl? I've heard times like these a thousand times. Do it live. Make it mean something. Wow. 
calling him out. That's right. You know what? I got nothing Eddie, to lose. <laughs> we we got to back off, people. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe Dave's got a pre-existing condition. I, I don't know. It's it's funny times. Everything was weird. At least it was better than the uh, New Year's celebrations with with the fitness hats. You know, it's at least a little better than that. Hey man. But I I don't know. I mean, to to sum it up. I thought it was very lovely. I thought it was the way it probably should have been done. But I don't know about you. Like, I just, uh, something about the last few years has me, uh, it's left me a little cold and gray, you know? And I see this stuff and I, I like the show and I like the performance, but I just, I still just don't know what the fuck is going on. So I can't, I just can't be pleased yet, you know? Oh, Benny, come on. Cold and gray. You have luscious black hair. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Go on. All right. Moving right along, you know, the NBA has, it's in full swing or trying to be at least. And we're going to first bring up in this portion of the program, we're going to bring up the Washington Wizards. So, Thus far this past season, the NBA has postponed 17 games, six of them being of the Wizards. So, And this just by Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press. If the Wizards are going to play 72 games this year, they have to play 41 games in 67 days in the second half of the season. Not yes. ideal. And I don't exactly think that we're out of the woods in terms of the rest of the league either. I, I think the NBA dodged a huge bullet with a team like the Wizards being this team rather than the Lakers. Like, imagine if, you know, the Lakers were it's only true. down to six six players. And I think this creates an interesting situation. So if the if Tommy Shepard, the GM of the Wizards, gets to the point where he's like, you know what, we're just going to mail it in. It's been fun. Then Russ hits the buyout market looking for future stuff for Bradley Beal. I think this is a case where it could be a gap between the haves and the have-nots in in this league. And that kind of, you know, plays into my second point, how the NBA is not going to get out of this unscathed outside of the haves and have-not conversation, which a lot of people like to bring up. First, they're going to have that, and then they're going to have people being like, oh, they're not handling this properly, all that stuff, especially since they beat it so hard the first time. So I just think the NBA is in a real weird position when it comes to the business of it, and it could impact the league down the road. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the Wizards are the will be known as the test case team, mm. you know, the same way the NFL had it, same way baseball had it. Like the team that got fucked the worst, that kind of taught the rest of the league a lesson. Yeah. So, you know, a lot has fallen out because of uh, because of the Wizards situation, particularly what they just did with the Grizzlies. Uh, the Wizards situation was very similar to the Grizzlies situation. They tried to push forward, clearly didn't work. Now the Grizzlies are just getting the next three games postponed yeah. and they're being uh, they're being parked in one city for the quarantine period to just start fresh yeah. and move from there. That was something that wasn't in tow until this Wizards fiasco. They're adding to uh, active rosters because mm. of the uh, the idea that you can't get someone up from your G League team overnight when you have quarantine periods and flights and things like that. So every team is going to need two clean active roster players who are away from the rest of the team, who mm. are not exposed. That needs to come into play, and they're adding it. And I think that might be the solution for a team like the Wizards getting through 41 games uh, in 67 days, as you mentioned. Um, 
now so this led to a lot of other stuff too there's yeah. been a larger fallout um all uh, agreed to by the players association now so the nba had uh, 11 positive tests in the last week and now the new restrictions are that players are no longer allowed to leave hotels on the road um no outside guests are are, are allowed into rooms anymore and remember the the criteria for outside guests oh, was not this. a family member. <laughs> yeah. Like you were allowed to invite a person that you were having relations with on either side of the fence <laughs> into your room. As long as you could prove some sort of loose affiliation, like you've known this person for like more than five minutes. Uh, so they agreed on all these uh, temporary adjustments of the protocols. They're going to reevaluate it, but it's hard to see how this is going to fall out for the wizards because every team and so many different teams are having these fallouts and it's turning into a very bizarre NBA season as we knew it was going to be. Yeah. So I think the biggest fallout from this wizards thing is sort of them being the, uh, the Guinea pigs for the whole situation, them being the first to have such a rampant outbreak. And, and now we're watching the new protocols being put in. So hopefully it helps. Hopefully um, people are locking down in a way that we might actually get through this season. But as you said, I mean, if, uh, if uh, another half a dozen teams run into this type of situation, they, they might be dealing with a, a shortened schedule or, or some more severe changes going to have to be made. I wonder if Tyler Hero is still with that girl. Yeah. I, I, why not? I mean, you know, it was a, it was a fast and loose uh, Instagram courtship. That led this girl from wherever the heck she was in the world to Disney World. So is he hanging on to this girl? Like I'm not sure. You don't want to hang on. It's called Denny. It's a new pop song. It's called Bubble Love. Bubble Love. I love that. By Quest Love and the Roots. Bubble Love by Quest Love. <laughs> I'd be into it. No, but the NBA does have a real problem on their hands here. This is only gonna be a bump in the road on Adam Silver's resume. Um, but the interesting thing is going to be how, you know, this affects future CBA negotiations. You're seeing it with MLS. Uh, the owners in MLS uh, violated the CBA almost entirely. Um, right. And the players are furious about it. They have a negotiation coming up. So it's going to be interesting. Players' rights are very much at stake. I know that these guys make a lot of money, boo-hoo, sob story, and, and all of that stuff. But if guys can't leave the hotels and this becomes commonplace, man, there's going to be a whole lot stricter regulations going forward, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. All right, next topic here in the NBA. Benny, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but we got to talk about your Brooklyn Nets. Um, in the first game Please. of the Big Three last night, Surprise, surprise, Kyrie Irving took more shots than anybody else on the team going for 28. That's that's more than double what Harden took. Uh, Kevin Durant took a, a few less than that. You know, we're getting to the point where Kyrie is, you know, Kyrie isn't like he's just out here doing whatever the heck he wants. Uh, Kevin Durant probably not thrilled with this, but I think we're seeing Steve Nash have to step up or in, in, in the case, not step up and be the, the, the leader that he needs to be to guide this team forward because you can't have a guy who missed seven games just come out and do whatever the heck he wants. And that's what it seemed like the other night. Harden and KD had it cooking. These guys were winning. 
and you put it together and you're like, outside of the defense, it looks like a championship offense. And we're not even going to get into the defense here. So the fact that Kyrie Irving, and this just, this just goes to show how entitled this guy is. Like, I can't believe that you would be out here uh, skipping games, skipping practice for safety, personal reasons, and then coming back and be like, I need the ball. This is my offense. It's ridiculous. I got, you know what? I got to be honest. Is anybody who's talking about this fucking game, did they watch the game? You know, this is this is my problem with what's happening right here is I watched every minute of that game yeah. last night, okay? And there's no bigger fan of the Nets than me. There's uh probably a lot of people who are more skeptical about Kyrie Irving than me, but I am a skeptic at this point. And there were so few times in the flow of that game yesterday that I thought Kyrie forced the situation. I thought he took a bad shot. Uh, there was a, a, a quarter where he was the only player keeping him in because of how, how much he was cooking. Uh, and then James Harden had double the usage rate of Kyrie yesterday. It's not all about shots. James Harden had the ball in his hand twice as much as Kyrie Irving yesterday. Literally twice as much as far as usage goes. The offense was running through James Harden mm-hmm. and Kyrie Irving was being used as a scorer yesterday. So... this is where uh, I've been hearing this stuff all day. I mean, Stephen A. Smith, that guy's takes have been fucking junk since Colin Kaepernick. Let's just put that out there for now. But I, I didn't see any issue with it. And the, and you said, Oh, let's talk about defense later. That's the issue I saw was the fact that Kyrie Irving while playing 45 minutes, being put one-on-one with a guy like Colin Sexton in crunch time, it's not going to do it, and it's going to be an issue. Uh, Cleveland is one of the worst scoring teams in the NBA thus mm. far, and uh, they never should have had to get to that point. They never should have been down. But for fuck's sake, everyone, it is the first game of all of these guys playing together. The first. You know what I mean? It's like we expect these guys just Eureka. We have this whole thing figured out. Look at us. We're this unbeatable fucking squad. It takes a minute, especially guys who are so accustomed to the level of usage they have and how they're going to be able to win. I do agree. I had a little bit of an issue with the way Steve Nash addressed minutes last night. Yeah. That was the biggest issue. And this morning on, on NBA radio did the exact same thing. Yeah, the the fact that you know James Harden was over fifty minutes in that game, Kevin Durant was over fifty minutes in that game, and uh, Bruce Brown played seven minutes. Landry Shamit yeah. was a DNP. Uh, I thought there was much better ways to divvy up those minutes to get Kyrie off the floor to run a couple different looks. You know, um, that's what I thought the biggest issue of last night's game was. But um, this idea that I expected these guys to just like. Gel? Take this perfect equal amount of shots and just you know gel right off and like oh we know exactly what to do like yeah the Nets won those first two games James Harden threw away five balls to people he thought were gonna be somewhere and ended up throwing them in the stands like it's gonna happen and I think everybody needs to give it a minute relax um, and let people at least have like a week to try and figure out what they got on the floor. Um, Kyrie Irving just to me should have never had that many minutes last night. That that was the biggest issue to me. But watching literally every play of that game, 
I didn't see one of these Kyrie. There's two guys on me. I'm stepping back at 28 feet kind of shots. I'm going into the lane against the giants and just putting up some trick shot, man. Half of those shots he had last night were wide open mid range pull-up looks that he was nailing and he was cooking at a certain point in that game. So I really, I just don't have a problem with it. No, but just because, you know, they're not bad shots doesn't mean that it's shots that he should be taking. Why not? It's Kyrie Irving. No, because that's not how basketball works, Benny. Yes, like, it, there, there's a game plan. The there's best, shot the you distribution. Need there's analytics here. One of the here. best scores in the NBA is a wide open look. Take the shot. Take it every time. I don't care if you have 40 of them. That is the look. That's the best shot on the court at the time. If Kyrie Irving is giving up shots at 14 feet, 16 feet that are wide open, that's a big problem. Benny, just just because a guy is not forcing shots does not mean he should be taking those shots. I, I don't know. No, because it's know. like Kyrie at his best, and we know this, he's best when he's passing, distributing, doing all of that stuff, right? And no, I, not yes. really. He's best when he's Okay, just okay, the handles is, is great if you want to talk about his, his and one mixtape. That's when he's the most useful. See, in is. this offense, he needs to be the better passer. Trust me, I do think that Kyrie Irving is, is up there in, in terms of passing. But when it comes to the game plan and sticking to it because you know i get it a lot of people don't talk about game plans but it needs to be even and last night is is last night we're talking about this team going forward in the whole season and we need to have some sort of continuity there and i think we learned a lot about where steve nash is as a head coach last night in in the fact that how this team is going about their business early on is not great I don't know. I couldn't disagree more. Okay. I really couldn't. I, I, I think you had such a high probability for things to go wrong early. You just literally put James Harden and Kevin Durant on a team together, and there was automatic chemistry, automatic vibe. You brought Kyrie Irving back. There's obviously a nice connection between the three of them. I don't know, man. I think there's a lot to learn, and there's places to grow from here. But – you know, when you got rookie coaches and three superstars and the pandemic season and all this, it's like, I really am just not tripping about this game. And it's not it, it, it's not about the game. I don't think anybody today has been talking about the game. It's about making this whole thing work. But do I think that they'll figure it out? Yeah, I do. But it was it, it was concerning last night. You know, Kyrie had a minus seven plus minus, which is. That's bench player material. KD was plus two. James Harden, minus two. Um, so when, when it comes to how, how they're affecting both ends of, of the floor and points per possession, the analytics did not favor Kyrie Irving last night. I mean, you want to tell me anything. The thing to be concerned about is, is the, the Nets giving up 145 yeah. points to, to the, the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers, Cavaliers yeah. last night. That's what we need to be. We need to be concerned about uh uh reggie perry <laughs> second round draft pick getting 25 minutes in a game last and landry shamit being a dmp like and you said, landry yeah. like that is the issue like they have some serious serious defensive issues yeah. they do they really do and deandre jordan is not going to be able to fill that up this kid perry is fine he's not going to be able to fill it up they they are going to be as we talked about in text they're going to be big buyout market guys yeah because they need a couple more pieces. They do. And they they built the team in a way that wasn't designed for what happened. You know what I mean? How could you? So they are uh they're lacking defense, they're lacking some depth. 
But everything you're talking about being a problem right now, I don't agree. <laughs> All right, Benny. So transitioning from the Nets to the greater NBA, we're going to try to start a new segment each and every week. We're going to give you our top three teams, our bottom three teams. And Benny, we're going to try to do this at a musical context. Explain this to me. <laughs> well, we got your festival headliners. Yeah, right? festival We're headliners. Staying. And then whatever the worst people are. We got your main stage headliners. We got your... We're headlining the tents. We're doing good. We're doing a meet and greet. <laughs> and then your bottom threes are your, you know, we're opening the side stage at 1130 in the morning. <laughs> we're at the club tent at 330 in the morning. <laughs> you know, the uh, the yucky warp tour spots. I love it. All right. Do you want to so go first let's here? Go for the, let's go for the headliners first. Cool. Headliners first. So top three in the NBA, two are easy. I'm not going to take anything from the Lakers and the Clippers. Those are two of the three best teams in the NBA. It's undeniable roster-wise. Um, point differential. Home and away, I'm not giving a, as much you know, credence as I normally would this season that I do. Uh, so I think Lakers and Clippers won two. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where the controversy sets in. Yeah. Is the number three spot the Bucks? Or is it the Sixers currently? And I have the Bucks edging out the Sixers for the number three team for the last slot headlining the festival stage. And it's because the Sixers are 9-0 and versus teams below 500. And they are 1-5 and uh-huh. against teams that are above 500. Uh, that's not going to play. Um, they obviously had a soft schedule going up. And the Bucks have the highest scoring offense in the league, uh, nearly a uh, 10-point-plus differential. So I think because of that, uh, much more well-balanced team. I don't like what I'm seeing from Ben Simmons, even though they're winning games. I got got the Bucs staying in the number three slot in the the top of the NBA. I also have the Utah Jazz coming in close, coming in close. They're they're about one hit away from from making the main (laughs) stage but but the utah jazz seven and two against Mm. plus 500 teams this year um but we might have a better determination of this list after tonight's bucks lakers game yeah yeah we'll see that tipping off as we're recording this in just a few minutes benny my my number one team on this list i gotta go with the clippers here they're starting to hit their stride here. Paul George averaging 25 points a game, shooting 53 from the field. Just amazing right here. It's really 1A, 1B when it comes to them versus the Lakers. Uh, Lakers hot of late. The depth's been working for them. Schroeder's been playing well. Got to have them at number two here. But the real reason why I have the Clippers number one is the fact that it seems like they figured out the chemistry issues. Um, yeah. And for right now, that's that's winning the day for me. And then, yeah, my my third team is a team that you brought up, the Utah Jazz, six in a row. Jordan Clarkson the other day, 23 points off, off the bench. Uh, Utah, very deep team. So Utah Jazz is number three for me. I mean, a big step there, too. You got to give the guy credit. Mike Conley. Oh, yeah, Mike Conley nice for year. sure. Great bounce back here, you know. Uh, this team is is not ticking ticking without him i I love that uh i love seeing the resurgence of mike conley good guy (laughs) good player all right then on the other end of it our openers of the festival at noon the meet and greets betty uh starting at your you know your moderate to climbing up 
team at, at three working all the way down to your worst team. To the well, worst. What do you got? Okay. All right. Well, then in that case, I'll start with the Sacramento Kings, who mm. are not record-wise the worst team. But part of this, to me, is the most disappointing teams, the teams that break your heart the most. Yeah. And the Kings, again, were a team that I see on paper, and I'm looking at the roster, and I'm like, oh, all right. We got Fox. We got Bagley. We got Heald. We got this kid. We got Halliburton coming in. It's an interesting team, you know, Uh, enough to. And again, just really, really underwhelming on the way they're putting it together, the way the players are gelling together. I don't know if Luke Walton's the problem. He might be the problem, but they uh, are five and ten. They're giving up one hundred twenty three points a game. They're three and nine in conference. They're one in four versus below five hundred teams. So the Kings are giving no indication that it's getting better. It's actually a little sad. I thought they were going to be a lot better. Now, next for me, going down, even earlier slot, (laughs) the Houston Rockets. Hmm. Everybody had this little idea that there was going to be this post-Harden honeymoon. They won that first game. Christian Wood bailed. And, of course, the day after pundits go, look, the Rockets are better without James Harden. (laughs) I even said it on this show. I said, Get ready, Rockets fans, for your eventual <laughs> post Harden decline. Three and seven over their last 10. Lost their last uh, three straight. No John Wall in sight. Oladipo, a nice piece coming back. They might win a couple games here and there, but uh, Houston is now in full on OKC mode, just gearing up for all these picks <laughs> they have in the future. And honestly, they're not that much fun to watch. Yeah. Um, now, the last, I hate picking on him. Hmm. I'm keeping the Wizards out of this conversation just because of my respect for Bradley Beal. It's got to be the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. We all knew the makeup of this team going in was a head scratcher. You know, I I love what Jerry. You know, I love what Jeremy Grant did. Right, he took a bet on himself. He's like, I'm leaving the playoff team. I want more minutes. I want more a bigger money. role. Yeah. I want more shots. Well, good for you. You got all that. He he wanted to you know play in a black city for a black coach. All, all commendable things. The reason he went there, fit wise, you know, bringing him and Plumlee in as your big free agent signings with all these kids, especially when you draft Sadiq Bay and you move up to draft Isaiah Stewart, who looks very interesting. Mm. That kid on a on a losing team should be getting twenty to twenty five minutes a night right now, but he's not because you signed fucking. Mason Plumley, my boy, yeah. who I love, but you signed him to this huge deal and you're log jammed. Uh, Killian Hayes, you know, all you were hoping to see was a little progression out of right. him, and he's hurt. You're just seeing a little more regression out of Blake Griffin. Yeah, so it's a it's a sad team to watch. Uh, there's a lot of kids on the team I kind of root for. I actually, like I said, I quite like Isaiah Stewart. I I didn't like the pick at the time, yeah, but now watching him play. Nice player. I like the way he's he's driving out there. But uh yeah, it's a sad team who is gonna get beat up through the entirety of the season. Benny, I think it's time we gotta have a conversation about Blake Griffin. I mean, I yeah, I think sometimes some guys, you know, they may get caught up in the hopelessness of their situation in, in Detroit. Yeah. The guys really regressed. We're far away from uh Lob City, Blake Griffin. We're even further away from Oklahoma, Blake Griffin. Oh, yeah. Uh that's 
That's why for me, my worst team, the Detroit Pistons, not looking good there. Um, three and 11 losers of their last two. We kind of had mixed feelings about them. Maybe a team that could surprise people. You know, we talked about that in the preseason. Uh, non-existent. Man, I feel bad for Dwayne Casey. Yeah. You know, yeah. we talked about this before. Go some coach of the year in Toronto to trying to deal with this Pistons situation. Um, and a real un, unstable front office situation. Uh, not exactly giving the best tools to work with. So uh, the Pistons are my three team right here. Then moving on over to the Western Conference, man, another unfortunate team. The Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be out without Carl Anthony Towns, uh, COVID stuff. And they just seem like a team that I'm not saying Ryan Saunders is like losing control of, of, of the team, but you can't let the in, inmates run the asylum. Um, and it seems like they, they're just not very cohesive when they play. Uh, they're the new team that's like it's if if they're coming up on, on your schedule, it's a cure for a losing streak. So Minnesota is definitely in my bottom three. And then my final team in this situation, the Washington Wizards. I mean, for Christ's sake, they got six guys that can play. That's going to put you at the bottom of, of any list. I get it. I love Bradley Beal, love Russell Westbrook. But if you can't play, you can't play. And if and if you're inactive, you got to be at the bottom of the list for me. All right, Benny, a rare occasion for us. We're going to talk some football here. Um, and, it, you know, the Super Bowl is coming. Everyone's really jazzed about that. But it appears this offseason we could see the end of an era with Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, and dare I say it, maybe Tom Brady all potentially looking to call it quits. Some of these guys already have. And with these guys bidding farewell, are we seeing an end to the white unathletic quarterback era in the nfl or is daniel jones just gonna carry that flag no just kidding uh, well daniel jones pretty athletic <laughs> yeah, yeah, credit. yeah guy yeah. can run guy can run he just so, doesn't look like i thought about this athletic. a lot well i think at the very least we are safe in that it, it is an end of an era mm. because the eli manning philip rivers ben roethlisberger uh quarterback class yeah. is one of the most famous in history and of course the the trade that uh sent Eli to the Giants and Philip Rivers to the Chargers you know trickled out a good uh, a couple Super Bowls and things that really changed the face of the league Roethlisberger's got a few so this is like a huge class it's going to go down in history all Hall of Famers mm. yes Eli Manning as well yeah. is a Hall of Famer um I like the argument sometimes, like if you had put Phillip Rivers on the Giants all those years, what does that team look like? Do they win two Super Bowls? Do they win more? Who knows, yeah. right? The one thing I know about watching Eli Manning play uh, year after year for, for many years of my life, sure, Phillip Rivers is probably a better quarterback. Yeah. Got a better arm. He's a little smarter. He can put mm. balls in certain places. But Eli Manning is made out of lizard parts <laughs> his blood doesn't go warm yeah. he has no mood he's just this like blank fucking slate and philip rivers is very emotional guy he moves it around a lot yeah does he take him over the top does he beat uh, an undefeated new england patriots team i don't know like yeah. how the fuck are we ever supposed to guess but we're going to be able to talk about it forever. And I think that's one of the reasons that this quarterback class is so important. Drew Brees, on the other hand, 
is he the greatest NFL free agent in history? Maybe. He may be. I mean, he literally got put on a scrap heap uh, and, you know, eventually found his way in New Orleans and literally like saved a city. Yeah. You know what I mean? And had his hand in uh, in helping that city get get through its uh, problems and winning a Super Bowl there. And, and literally, I mean, the guy could run for fucking governor of Louisiana huh. and he'd probably win. So I think this uh, class going away is a uh, is a huge thing and very monumental for the league. Now, to answer your question, is yeah. this the age of the old white <laughs> non-mobile quarterback uh, being dead? No, I don't think it is because there's still a lot of white non-mobile quarterbacks doing awfully well in the NFL. Shout out to Chad Henney. Playing playoffs <laughs> in this year. You know, so I did a little research on this because yeah. I wanted to be sure about it. And this season, albeit a strange season, there were only four quarterbacks with over 500 rushing yards in the league. Hmm. One of which was Lamar Jackson, who's an otherworldly runner. And obviously, uh, you know, maybe the most impactful running quarterback since Michael Vick. Mm. But the other ones were um, Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. Cam Newton, and Russell Wilson, none of which had very impactful seasons, who yeah. didn't make the postseason. And pocket guys made up the lion's share of the most successful players in the league. So I think there's a bit of a misconception when people look at quarterbacks. I don't think it's about a rushing quarterback anymore. It's about a mobile quarterback. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between somebody who can hook out the side and run it to the baseline uh, or run it to the sideline and has that much speed that they can get to the outside and really make cuts. But I think the more useful thing in the NBA. Oh, my God. I know. We're such an NBA podcast. I just just went baseline (laughs) and NBA Uh, in the same sentence. (laughs) It's very Uh, territory for us. You know, I think the more important thing in – in this is being able to step up in the pocket and avoid pressure and yeah. get the ball off, which was something that, you know, um, Tom Brady happens to be such an exceptional player, right. but there's one way to get to Tom Brady. If you can fuck him up in the yeah. pocket, you can get to Tom Brady. And I think uh, the biggest thing in the league right now is not people who can take off. It's people who can avoid pressure. Right. Exactly. And there's a big difference in that. So um, I don't think uh, the era is dead. But I think the era of like Mr. Cement Foot, like yeah. I won't fucking move at all, <laughs> Mr. probably is dead because these the, the league is just too athletic. Yeah, you at least got to move around the pocket, you got to sense pressure, and you got to get the ball off. I've got the same thing, and and I low key feel like we've been seeing this evolution. You know, Favre was like the the gunslinger. Then we saw a slightly more athletic version of this with Aaron Rodgers. What Russell Wilson did a couple years ago in that Super Bowl run with the Seahawks, and now into Patrick Mahomes. You're exactly right. As the league gets more athletic, you need a guy who can, you know, extend the play. Because if you can extend the play, you can extend the drive and maybe get some more points out of it than you would have typically thought. But I think that there's a bigger conversation to be had here. And and, and I love the how the perception is changing of what your quarterback can be. You know, it wasn't too long ago 
where, you know, if, if, if you want to go back to 2003 where people were talking about Donovan McNabb and race and all that stuff, and once upon a time ESPN employed Rush Limbaugh for a couple weeks, and he was talking about how Donovan McNabb was getting too much credit for what he was doing right, right. with that Eagles team because he was yeah. black. And I think, you know, if that conversation was happening on TV and ESPN was letting it happen, imagine what the conversations was behind closed doors in NFL offices. So I think, you know, the idea as society has progressed of what a quarterback can be and looks like, I think it's changed. And that's kind of more what I'm talking about, like the evolution. Like it doesn't have to be one thing anymore. And I think that's great for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean that's true. At least the uh the aesthetic yeah is different and what people expect to see is different. The era of the golden boy. We don't we don't need the golden boy anymore, right? <laughs> Get out of here, Tom Brady. It's been fun. This Tampa team's been fun, but after that, no, no more golden boys cuz we're all human, right? I think that's I mean, what we He's not. Oh. He's in the he's in the LeBron James yeah, camp. I don't know. That's true. You know, that's true. between him and LeBron, they're just completely uh shifting any concept we had of the aging player you know this would be a great spot for a tb12 ad but after what i said that's never going to happen but if you want to get in contact with the show you can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com two p's in there you can subscribe to us on youtube that's right we're there just the tune-up podcast hit that subscribe button like it all that stuff yada 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 uh follow us on twitter instagram at the tune-up hq all the good stuff coming there if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? I don't know. What does Tom Brady eat? No avocados? A no, lot, lot lots of, of avocados. No nightshades. Yeah. All right. No nightshades. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. <laughs> if I could play as old as he is, if I can play drums until I'm 55 years old, fuck eggplant, you know? Oh, man. Come on. It's going to be longer than that. We got more tours. <laughs> tours. Come on. What are you talking about? Bonnaroo 2030. Benny Horowitz. You better be shooting baby platelets into me. I don't know. Oh, you've been listening to the tune up. <laughs>